you have your Bibles with you today, or there's one in the pew in front of you if you'd like to take one. In a little bit, we're going to be looking at some verses from the book of Philippians, the second chapter. We have been talking over the past several weeks now <clears throat> about abiding in Christ and, and what that looks like. And last week, we, we talked about the the metaphor that the manna that fell in the wilderness uh, was intended to be. And one of the points I was trying to make last week was that you know, this manna that came down from heaven was a picture uh, of Christ who was the bread, as Jesus identified himself, the bread that came down from heaven, and he invites us to feed on him. A lot of people got kind of freaked out about that because Jesus said, you know, if you, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood... And in fact, Christians were even accused of being cannibalistic in the first century. People didn't understand what that meant, but what Jesus was saying is, I want you to, I want you to feed on me, which is another way of, uh, in fact, Jesus in that very context says, if you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you will abide in me. What's interesting, and I, I picked this topic this morning on this kind of Thanksgiving weekend, what's interesting is, is that the context that that bread fell was on a group of people who were complaining. And I think we struggle with complaining. And so I'm going to talk about complaining today, and we're gonna, I'm going to invite you to uh, look with me on that this morning as we, as we talk uh, about that. And I have, I have a little in, just a little video that maybe you can identify with. We're going to start it off with. And uh, we'll have that now. <clears throat> Rush hour traffic, don't you just love it? If there is a stalled vehicle in the right lane causing a bit of congestion, you might want to avoid this route. The forecast, cloudy and windy and cold. Thanks a lot. I need you to process these. All of them. By Friday. Thanks. Oh, no ketchup. Awesome. Thanks for nothing. Go, 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 go! Oh, thanks a lot. It's not like we need you to catch a pass or anything. Why are you thankful about that, Daddy? I was just being sarcastic, honey. What's sarcastic? That's uh, what Daddy's like when he's in a bad mood. So you're not really thankful? No, I... I am thankful. I'm thankful for a lot of things. Thankful for you, for one, and thankful for Mommy. God's been really good to us, taking care of us. Not so much of our football team, but he's taking really good care of us. Thank you, sweetie. For what? For reminding me. (laughs) 
Okay, so you can probably find yourself in one of those scenes, uh, maybe not too long ago, maybe even on uh, before you got here today. I would like you to think with me about this whole thing of, of complaining. You know, what do you do when, when something happens? Uh, you don't get the ketchup in your uh, <clears throat> the fast food restaurant or somebody cuts you off while you're driving in traffic or your favorite team is about to win the game and they drop the ball in the end zone, is it, is it wrong to complain? Is it inappropriate to complain? I mean, isn't that kind of just reality for us in the world in which uh, you and I live? It almost sounds kind of phony to not complain about at least some things. Of course, one is going to be upset if they get cut off in traffic or this happens or that happens. Well, I began the study by going online, and I, I, I Googled, I just thought it'd be interesting, uh, is it okay to complain? So I, I did the first article that came up said, basically, no, <clears throat> that it's wrong to complain. The Bible's very clear. We're going to look in a moment at a verse that states very clearly that we are to refrain from all complaining. And it looks at the uh, Israel in the Old Testament, and how God was so displeased with their complaining and murmuring. Uh, we're going to look at a, a passage in, in Philippians 2 this morning, and that pe- passage is do everything without complaining. I mean, that's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Well, the second article said God likes it when you complain. And it, it looked basically at a number of the Psalms where God invites the psalmist to pour out your heart. Just pour it out. And we see the psalmist who, you know, is, is talking to God and, and who is complaining. One of the psalms. I'll just read one of them, and there's actually quite a few of them. This is from Psalm 13, just, just a couple of the first verses. He writes, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer me, O Lord my God. But he's, he's complaining about something going on in his life and the fact that God isn't responding to him. We have a whole book entitled Lamentations, which is teaching us as God's people how to complain. How to lament is the word that's there. So how do we know the difference between complaining, which displeases God, and and pouring our hearts hearts out to God in a way that is, as the Bible would call it, a sort of lament? How, How do we deal with negative emotions that come up in our lives all the time? Well, it's not a simple question, and not always easy to discern the difference. Now, my purpose this morning is to talk about, I'm going to lean toward, we're going to talk about complaining, and we're going to look at a passage which invites us to to set aside our complaining. But just a quick word about the lament. It's interesting as you look at these laments in in the Bible that there are some common elements. And uh, one of them is there's a cry to God, and there's a complaint, 
Then there's a profession of one's reliance upon God. Then there's a rationale as to why God should intervene and a request for help. And then at the end, there's a resolve to praise. And as you look at, the, as you look at those characteristics, just about every one of them involve God. It's interesting. So when we're, evidently, if we're going to complain, we should be involving God in our thought process and what's going on, and we should really uh, be speaking in that way. There are really four differences between a, a lament and a complaint, and I'm just going to list these quickly, and, and you might want to think about them sometime at some point. Number one is, it's interesting that the audience is God. When people are, when they're doing a complaint, it's, it's really not, although I realize these have been made public in the Psalms, but the complaint is really to God. It's really not to other people. Secondly, the content is an appeal to God's character. So the lament is very focused on who God is and appealing to that character of God. Thirdly, that the attitude is one of, there's a sense of worship, even though it's from what we would call a wounded faith. In other words, there's doubt going on, but this person is still, they're still seeking to worship God. And uh, lastly, the, the result is, that it's to produce a seeking of, of keeping faithful. There's a desire in the lament to remain faithful, not to rebel. So those are some, just some characteristics of the lament. And we see you know, writers acknowledging sorrow and fear and anger and loneliness and confusion and depression and all the feelings of life. So, so don't hear me wrong today. Let me just say this on the front end. There is a place to pour out your heart to God, to be honest with yourself and honest with God about what you're dealing with in the emotions of life. God's not expecting some kind of non-feeling, unrealistic uh, living out of uh, the emotions of our lives. However, the scripture makes it very clear that God does not like our complaining. He does not like our murmuring. And we have a lot to complain about in this country. Don't we? The reason we have a lot to complain about is because we have so much stuff. And the more stuff we have, the more opportunity there is for things to go wrong. I'll just give you an example. I was, I was thinking about my living room. My wife probably isn't going to like this, but <clears throat> I was thinking about our living room. We have a pellet stove. When you start the pellet stove, it keeps going off, so you have to keep hitting certain buttons or, and it really probably needs a new fan or a new control system, but I want to pay the money for it, so we just put up with that. Then as you just, I was just thinking around the room, then we moved to the flat screen TV we bought about four years ago, which the remote quit working about six months into the thing. And so the remote doesn't work, but we just sort of live with that. Then next in line, as I think through the, is the couch and the, uh, the seams are starting to let go on the leather couch. You know how that is after a while? And uh, <clears throat> the grandkids can only jump on them so many times and they start letting loose. So, but we didn't want to think about having to buy a new couch. And then on the floor, there are, when it, 
it's a, I have a really hard time keeping enough moisture in my house, and so some of the floor, the hardwood floor uh, pieces have started to warp up in the winter especially. But that's really expensive to replace that. And two years ago when it was very humid, the three seams on the ceiling let go of the tape, and there's also some water spots on the floor from overwatering the plants and not doing up the water. So that's just, that's just one room in the house. We have 10 rooms in the house. Okay? I'm, I haven't touched the garage. I haven't touched the outside of the house. I haven't spoken about our cars. I haven't talked about finances, in-laws, uh, anything else in life. And isn't it true, there are so many things in a day that can go wrong that we could complain about. And the more things we have, the more opportunity there is for that. <clears throat> so it, it's in that context of the world in which you and I live where there's hardly a day where something does not happen that can frustrate us or cause us to complain. I want to read these words from Philippians. Chapter 2. Beginning with verse 1. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with his spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, Paul says, and make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. So here's his attitude. Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, therefore, this is all connected. Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only my presence, but much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his purpose. So how do we do that? Do everything without complaining or arguing. Why? So that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. So what I, want to, what I want you to see this morning is kind of the flow of this passage because it all fits together. And he's saying, you know, if you have been encouraged by the love that God has given to you and and by the, the Holy Spirit which God has, has put into your life, if, if there's any love and any compassion that, that has been poured into your life, then Paul says, here's what I want you to do with that. With the energy that that brings to your life, I want you to seek to be like Christ, which is to be very selfless, which is to think of others more than yourself, and to have this attitude that Jesus Christ had, who basically laid down his very life for others. 
So with, with this kind of mindset and with this kind of attitude, what I want you to do is to work out your own salvation. You know, you've been saved by grace through faith. Now, how do you live that out in your life? What's, what does that look like as you live out your life? And it's very interesting to me that he said that means that you're not a complaining person. And it's interesting. That's the only admonition he gives here. Now, there's other implications of living out our faith, but I just find it interesting that that's really, that's really it here. And what I conclude from that is this must be pretty important, that we not be complaining people. And he says, when you don't complain, you shine like stars in the darkness. So why do we do that? Because our lives become set against the context of a culture which is always complaining. And so, you know, you say, well, isn't it, isn't it just kind of normal to complain? Yes, it is. That's, that's, the, that's the, you know, the canvas is painted black with that complaining, arguing spirit. And he says, when you are contrary to that, when you live differently from that, you, your life stands out. People go, wow, that, that, that person is such a positive person. I mean, there's, there's hard stuff going on in their life, but they're not complaining. They're not getting bitter. They're not always angry. There's, a, there's still a peace in their life. And so we have an opportunity to shine in that way in a very dark world. In, in Matthew 5.11, Jesus talks about being persecuted. And he says, you know, when people persecute you, he said, blessed are you when people are persecuted and when we, we come across back with, a, with a, not a defensive response or an angry response or a complaining spirit, he says when you do that, the light goes out. And that's kind of the normal thing for each one of us to do is to find ourselves in that complaining spirit. So this morning, I want to share with you some, some things that kind of prompted me here to, to just think about some things from this text that can be helpful for us in, in being able to uh, fulfill this, this very simple but difficult command of doing everything without complaining. So here they are, four things I'd like to mention to you this morning for you to think about. Number one, change the things that you can uh, Philippians 2.12, it says, Therefore, my friends, as you have ob always obeyed, not only my presence, but much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And so there is a call here to obey. The Serenity Prayer says this, Lord, give me the peace to accept the things I cannot change. Give me the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. And so here's my point. We often find ourselves complaining about the very problems we are that we are creating, okay? And so one of the things that we need to be doing in our lives to not be complaining people is to be living our lives in obedience so we're not creating all these problems in our lives that we complain about out of disobedience. And you know, often we complain about things that, that we should be changing. So why, why keep complaining about things when we can change them and we can deal with the root of the problem? For example, you know, I am so, t I am so tired all the time. 
I'm just so tired all the time. And, and now if you're, if you're a young mom with a baby, you have a pass on this one, okay? <clears throat> we understand there are seasons of life where there's nothing that you can really do differently. It's just a very tiring kind of life. But you know what? For a lot of us, we could adjust our lives. We could probably get to bed early. We probably don't have to spend an hour looking on Facebook every night. I mean, that would, we just cut that out. Now, now we got an extra hour of rest in our night. Or we're not eating well. And, and we're not taking care of ourselves. And so, and, but, we, but we complain. We can change that. Or my, my kids, my children, my kids are always whining. Okay? Well, you can change that. Your kids don't have to whine. We learned that because we were forced to learn that early on. Vicki and I were up in, way up in northern Minnesota, and uh, we're in a church up there. And we used to, early on, we had Sunday evening services. So we would come, and our kids are like two, four, and six. No. <clears throat> Is that right? Yeah. A little more. A little more of respect. Two, five, and eight. Is that closer? Okay. All right. <laughs> two, five, and eight. <clears throat> I was close. So we would, and Vicky was at the piano, and I'm up preaching, and there was no nursery. So our kids were sitting over by themselves, and people would come up to us, and they would say, how do you do that? Your, your kids just sit there. Did you, you know, they wonder if we drugged them or what we did, because they were just... <laughs> and our kids knew exactly what happened. Because if they were squirreling around, they would get the look. You kids know what the look is from mother? It was just a quick look, and they knew what that look meant. That look meant that that, that, that look in itself said this. When I get off this piano, we will be going out into the bathroom behind two sets of closed doors, and we will deal with this in the bathroom. And so if there's enough pain involved, your kids can learn to do just about anything you want to teach them to do. <laughs> so, if your kids are whining, change it. Don't allow them to whine. Make it painful enough so they learn that they can't do that. Uh, I feel distant from God. pastor's been talking about abiding. It just doesn't happen for me. Well, are you taking time to pursue God? Are, are you spending time in His Word? Are you carving this out in your life? We, we often, you know, we often complain about things that we can change. So, so number one is, Paul says, as you have obeyed, you know, as you have always obeyed, not only my presence, but now much more in my absence. So make the changes so that your life is in line with the guidelines God has given to you. Here's the second thing. Decide to think on the positive. Decide. Decide to think on the positive. This is something you can decide to do. It, it really is. Philippians, I'm going to just jump a little out of the text here because it's, it's such a powerful verse, but Philippians 4.8, just a little bit farther along, Paul says, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, worthy, think about such things. So, if you're complaining, what are you thinking? Because you can change what you are thinking. Of course, I'm preaching on this, so I, I was in Walmart this week, and I was looking for chocolate. 
to, I had this experiment I wanted to do with my grandsons, and so we were looking for chocolate. And I'm in Walmart, and I cannot find the chocolate. And, and there are no signs. Now I see cocoa, and all these insignificant, but I, I'm, so I'm, I'm like the third time through all the aisles. You know how it goes? <clears throat> and I, I guess I missed it, but there, there was no sign there. And I'm getting extremely irritated. And I'm starting to complain to myself, and I'm going, I cannot believe they have not marked, I mean, with all the women that come into this store and they don't mark chocolate. <laughs> and then I thought, no, the women all know where the chocolate is. They don't need to sign the chocolate. <clears throat> so I find this gal kind of finally showed me, uh, was, but I, as, I was, as I was doing this, I was in the process, I thought of this point, I thought, you are doing exactly what you're going to be telling people not to do on Sunday. Now, and one of your points is to change how you're thinking. So I, I did that. And you know what I thought? I thought, you know, I've been sitting around a lot. We've been eating a lot. And I have an opportunity to get some great exercise up and down these aisles, okay? I kid you not, my whole attitude changed. I thought, you know what? I hope I don't find it for a while so I can get in a few more trips up and down the aisles. Now, that may seem kind of silly, but... I'm here to tell you that we do a lot of complaining about silly things that we could change our mind in terms of how we are thinking about those things. You know, so the hot water heater goes out. And we're thinking, oh man, now it's $600. Why don't you think, I I praise God that that we have some savings to draw from to do that. Or or I praise God that, you know, we don't have any savings, but they had 0% financing for six months. God, I I thank you that that you blessed us in that way. You can can always change how you think about things. You know, my my computer is is too slow. Uh, Oh, not not more snow again. I can't believe there's going to be more snow. When you catch yourself complaining, ask yourself, how could I begin to think differently about what is going on. I remember uh, when we were at, in my first church, there was an older gentleman who got up, and if he were, if he were speaking this morning, he would, have, he would have read Philippians 2, 1 through 15, but he wouldn't have read it, he would have quoted it from memory. He did that just about every time he preached, and so I said, how did you learn to do that? He said, I would, I would, have, uh, I would have appointments with people and they'd be late, and I would get so angry and it was just terrible. I mean, people were, and he was kind of an on-time person, and people were 10 minutes late. He, he just, he'd get, he'd find himself upset, and by the time the people came, he was so upset with them, he could hardly stand it. So he said, what I did was I took a little New Testament, and I decided that anytime someone was late, I was going to memorize scripture. And so he said, instead of being upset, I would think, oh, great, I get some time, I get to, I got 10 minutes here, maybe half an hour to memorize scripture. He said, it changed my whole attitude. And on top of that, he said, I learned volumes and volumes of scripture. So we can change our mind. The text says, do everything without complaining. What you're thinking about what's going on can change that. Here's the third thing. It's an obvious one. Think about the interests of others. Philippians 2.4. Each of you should think not of your own interests, but also the interests of others. That will dramatically change. That will dramatically change uh, your level of complaining. Thinking about 
others. My father was, people thought he was a Jew. But he's Swedish, but he was, you know, we, whenever we went somewhere, he never bought anything for the price, okay? My dad would always try and, and talk people down in a price of something. So that's what I grew up with. That's, that's what I thought you always did. And so the best thing to do would be to get a deal, a really good deal. So I kind of lived that way, and, and Vicky's family, her dad was the exact opposite. He paid sticker price for everything. And uh, after a while, I have to admit that it began to rub off on me. Why, why it began to run off, rub off on me was that I realized whenever I sold something and I got a good price for it, I was happy. So I got, why? Well, you know, I sold this car and I got a really good price for it. Or I sold this, I got a really good price, and I thought, well, every time I'm chewing somebody down or trying to talk somebody down on the price or something, they're getting less money. Businesses are getting less money. Other people are getting less money. It's just, this is all about what kind of a deal and how much money can I save. And I began to realize that there's a place to think about blessing somebody else. You know, maybe if I pay the price that's listed for this, that this other person will be blessed. This business will be blessed. And so you began, to, you began to realize the radical nature of thinking about others and not just yourself. I was driving on the uh, freeway here the other day, and I was, there was a guy there, and he was, I mean, he cut, he, my, my front fender was right by his back one, and he, he moved right over on me, and I, I hit my brakes a little bit. And then, of course, I looked for the horn, because I'm thinking, this guy needs to know that he's not driving well. So I was trying to help the guy out, okay, by... Just hitting the horn and saying, you know what? I, I, I don't want you to do this to somebody else, so that, that's my, my rationale. <laughs> about some time later, I'm thinking about this on the road, and I'm thinking about this, you know, I'm thinking about this really being considerate of the interests of others. I thought, I have no idea what was going on in that man's life. Maybe he's going home to a terrible marriage that's just falling apart. Uh, maybe he's got family that are ill. Maybe he's, got, maybe, he's off, maybe he's off thinking somewhere and he's not concentrating. Maybe he's on drugs and, and he's addicted to alcohol and he can't get off it or, or something else. I don't, I don't know what it was, but when I began to think about this verse in context of things that happened, you begin to think about other people. It dramatically, dramatically changes. And I thought, you know, maybe this guy that pulled over, maybe instead of honking at him, I should be praying for him. That's quite a change. And so thinking about the interests of others, thinking about the interests of others is a extremely, extremely powerful one that we need to be aware of. Well, there's one more. And this is one that is really, really critical. And uh, I've saved it for last, just the last five minutes here. I want to spend on this one. Understand the character and person of God. In verses 5 through 11, he, he talks about the very character of God. And it has been said the, most, the single most important thing about you is what you believe about God. And, and I think that is so true. Uh, Paul reminds us here of the character of God. In Romans 8, he says... He who did not freely give us, he who did not spare his own son, 
Will he not freely with him give us all things? He's saying is if God would give his son for you, don't, don't you think he's going to want nothing but the best for you in your life? And so if you really believe that, if you believe that God is sovereign, he's all-powerful, he only wants what's best for you, then knowing that truth has huge implications because it really, need, it really eliminates our need or our rationale to complain. If God does not give us something that we wanted or we felt we needed, then it becomes very clear that, that whatever that was, we, we really do not need. We might want it, we might desire it, but God, has, God will give us everything we need. And there's no room, there's no need to complain if God's giving you everything you need. Look at verse 13. He says, it, For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to whose good purpose? His good purpose. Not my good purpose. His good purpose. So God is, is working and, and when, when the focus of my life becomes his will for my life and not my will for my life, that, that changes a lot of complaining that goes on in my life. Now the hot water heater is something that he allowed, but the hot water heater can't thwart his purposes. Uh, the, the illness can't thwart his purposes. Nothing thwarts his purposes, isn't that correct? Nothing can thwart the purposes of God. Everything can thwart my purposes. That's the nature of life as we live it. That's the nature of life as we live it. And we can complain about God, and, and I don't have time to go in this. I have an issue with people that, in an accusatory way, say, no, I'm angry with God. I, I'm, I'm really angry with God as if God did something wrong. You can never blame God because God is blameless. Isn't that true? If you understand that God is blameless, God is blameless, then you can never blame God for anything. Now, you can confess your anger to God. You can say, God, I'm so angry. I don't like that you allowed this. Uh, but you can do it in a confessional tone. But I don't think you can ever do it and not be sinning against God to do it in an accusatory tone as if God is somehow at fault because God is never at fault. And God is always blameless in everything that he does. Let me just share one final example and a little phrase that, that I think might be helpful in your life. Philip Yancey, I've shared this a few years ago, but Philip Yancey wrote the book Disappointment with God and he, he interviewed a man by the name of Douglas who was a psychotherapist, gave up his job to go to the inner city and help poor people. Within a month of doing that, his wife was diagnosed with breast cancer. Then it moved to her lungs. She's in treatment, she's sick, she's nauseated, he's doing all kinds of work at home. Finances are, are really hard, and he's taking his wife to chemotherapy, and a drunk driver crosses the median. They have a head-on collision. His daughter gets injured. His wife gets injured, and, and he gets injured the worst. He has double vision for months. He has constant headaches. He, he stumbles when he goes up and down stairs, and he could no longer read, which was his favorite thing to do. 
So Philip Yancey said, I think this would be a good guy to interview in terms of disappointment with God. And so he sits down with, with this gentleman and he asks him to tell him, you know, he says, uh, I'd like you to tell me about your disappointment with God. And this is his answer. You know, Philip, and I'm, I'm quoting now, I don't think I've ever been disappointed with God. This was a great, Philip's now writing, this was a great shock to me. I, I was amazed. Of all the people I knew, I, I thought he was most likely one to be disappointed, even angry at God because of the unfairness that he had seen in his life. Then he said to me, you know, Philip, I learned a long time ago, especially through this accident, not to confuse God with life. Not to confuse God with life. Is life unfair? Absolutely. My life has been unfair. What happened to my wife? What happened to my daughter? What happened to me? It's all unfair. I think God feels exactly the same way. I think he is grieved. I think he is hurt by what the drunk diver did as much as I am. But I do not confuse God with life. Life is very unfair. God is not unfair. And God in his sovereignty has chosen not to eliminate. In fact, Jesus said, I'll tell you this, in this, this is one thing you can count on. In this world, you will have trouble. It will be unfair. Things will happen. But be a good cheer. I have overcome the world. And so, I have never forgotten that phrase, and, and I would invite you to, to kind of burn that on the front lobes of your mind. I do not confuse life with God. Life can be very hard, and God is very good. And when we get to the end of our lives, on that day, the, that, the, the Bible talks about that day, looking ahead to that day, we will look back on our lives and, and we will understand that God, yes, much of life was unfair and God was never, never contradicted his goodness in life. Well, this morning I, I, I would encourage you to think about some of these things and you might even want to try doing a 24-hour fast from complaining. Just try it for 24 hours. Say, you know what? For 24 hours, I'm going to try to not complain. And by the way, that, that includes not complaining about yourself. Okay? It's not just complaining about other people, not just having complaining thoughts you know, it doesn't count if you keep your mouth shut, but you're still complaining in your head, all right? You know, that's just a profane silence is all that is. All right, so you need to, just for 24 hours, don't allow any complaining. Take, you know, Philippians 4, 8, whatever's true, lovely, right, pure, good. Think about these things. If a complaint, something happens and you're tempted to complain about it, say, how could I think differently about this in a way that's not complaining? And, uh, God has given you the power to do that. You can't do that without God because God has given you so much hope beyond all the little things that go wrong in your life in this world. 
He has given you so much hope. Uh, this is not a false sense of positive thinking. This is positive thinking based on something that's true. And so I just challenge you this morning uh, in that way. Father, this morning we thank you for your word to us and this admonition to do everything without complaining, everything without arguing. Lord, you wouldn't tell us to do that if, if you didn't give us power to do that. And so I pray that you'd teach us. We pray for everyone that's here. Lord, some are... Uh, Lord, we, I pray for those who are in situations where they just need to pour their hearts out to you. And Father, as we do that, we, we also affirm your ability to walk with us and to sustain us in the midst of all of the challenges that enter into our lives. And so, Father, just uh, use, use your word here today in our lives. And, uh, Lord, might we work out our salvation, which you've freely given us through your grace. Might we work this out in our lives and become like stars against a dark night in how we speak and how we think and how we act. Lord, we pray this in, in Jesus' name. Amen.